Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Would you lift up your voice with me and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I'm asking you in your name that you would minister in this service tonight. You would speak to our hearts in this place. You've prepared us for this moment. You brought us to this moment. And I pray, God, that you would move and work and have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, we thank you and praise you for it. Let's give glory to the Lord. Oh, let's give glory to the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. A language is vitally important if a culture is going to continue. This is a challenge, particularly for immigrants when they move into a new nation or relocate to a new country. They find it extremely difficult and challenging to keep their culture, to keep traditions that they brought with them from their country of origin, and to stay connected with, with the way that they was raised and their ethnicity. While the first generation of immigrants may still adhere to traditions and cultures that they brought from their homeland they will find that their children will quickly adapt to their surroundings and as a result begin to leave those old customs behind. This is most apparent with their language. First generation will speak the language of their mother country as a first language. And then the second generation will speak the native language as a second language. But the country that they now live in will be their first language. And then the third generation most likely will understand the native language, but they will not be able to speak it themselves. And eventually with every subsequent generation, the language begins to die. And so does the connection with that culture. I'm acquainted with a Spanish apostolic group that some years ago uh, they began to u- lose young people at a very rapid rate. And this was very concerning to them. And the primary reason was is that there was a language barrier. Now, several generations of living here in America, and their children were being raised up in, of course, a culture that spoke English and going to school and learning English. And all of these things were necessary and important, but they were still having service in their native tongue and preaching in their native tongue and instructing and teaching in their native tongue. And it wasn't long until these folks began to have a language barrier that began to be built brick upon brick uh, with each generation. And it seemed like this was a cause for them to be alarmed because they were losing again 
the younger generations, the older folks, they enjoyed it, they, they liked it, they were accustomed to it, they didn't want to change it, but the, the generation that was coming along could not understand, and therefore they, their doctrine, their beliefs and everything was not being transmitted to them. We live in a very communicative society. Uh, I read just today, and I was uh, taken aback by this, that there is 7,000 different languages in the world today. And if that is not alarming enough, I think you would find it even more alarming that with every two weeks that passes, every 14 days, a language dies it dies in this world. That's hard for me to fathom that every two weeks out of the 7,000 languages that's in this world, every two weeks one of them dies and they say within not the too distant future that half of the languages in this world will die out. Only half of them will be left. Every two weeks a language dies. Now, Just hold on with me just a little while here. I'm going somewhere tonight. The late German explorer, Alexander Van Hoben, came across in his exploring in South America, what is now known as Venezuela. Uh, he came upon a parrot. You know these parrots uh, can grow to be very old and uh, outlive human beings, some of them well over 100 years old. And he came upon this parrot that was speaking. He could tell that it was speaking a language that it was familiar with, and as he began to study and to find out and investigate a little bit about it, he knew that it was an intelligible language. And he found through researching it that this parrot was speaking a certain language in that area in remote South America that it was the only, only, you can say person, but it was the only thing left that was still speaking the language, all of mankind that spoke that language had died out. But this parrot, after hearing its owners or uh, hearing people speak the language, it was parroting it and it was speaking it itself and it was the only thing that was left speaking it. The death of a language is not a trivial matter at all. The demise of a dialect is a terrible tragedy. Because language represents more than just words and verbiage. It's more than that. It represents a culture of people. It represents a set of values. It, it represents traditions. Things that generationally have been passed down are passed down through language. And when a language is lost, it's a serious thing because there is no bridge to the past. There is no bridge to one's history. And you may think, well, I, I like to think in the future. Well, I do too. And I, I like to preach in faith and reaching towards the future. But I want to tell you, if you don't have a good firm basis on history and understanding of history and a appreciation for history, you're destined to repeat the bad things in history. You're destined to repeat the horrific things in history. So it's important that we understand. And that's one of the problems that we're having in our nation today is we have leaders 
that don't understand how our nation was built. Doesn't understand the concept of government and the ideas that it was founded upon. And now they're trying to reinvent all of that. And they're trying to bring their own definition to it, which is incorrect. And it's put our country in turmoil. So it is important that we have some concept of the past. And history is to be be valued. Without language, you cannot learn from your successes. And the victories of the past are not passed on to the next generation And also, you cannot learn from the mistakes of the past. And it's important that you have a concept of your history. The Benawan tribe, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, is a remote tribe from the Amazon jungle. And one of the only tribes remaining that knows how to make this mysterious substance called Corion. Or Corier. Corier is a poisonous substance that they concoct and put together with a secret recipe and they place it on the tips of their spears and on the tips of their arrows. And it's so deadly poison that when it is shot and strikes the flesh of uh, whatever it is that they're aiming it at, whether it be a human or a beast, and within seconds that target dies. It perishes. And so this is a very important subject. Uh, this is a very important material, rather, that they, that they have. And, and they've had this secret art of making it for generations. But there is a fear among them that it is going to pass away. That they are losing the art of making this, this substance called Corier to place on their arrows and their spears. And the reason why they're concerned is that they feel that they will not be able to properly protect themselves. This is a part of their defense. And there's a lot of things that we could talk about concerning that. A lot of things that parallel with what I'm preaching about here tonight in concern that I have with Pentecost and the concern that I have with you and I and the concern that I have with us always embracing, but not only embracing, making sure that it's carefully passed on this truth to future generations. And the only way that it can be is through us talking about it, through us uh, understanding the importance of it, us being willing to teach it That is our responsibility. That was one of the commandments in the book of Deuteronomy. You understand that there is only one Lord. You understand that there is only one God. But that is not the end of the command. That you're to worship that one and only God. But the command goes a little further. That you're to teach it to your children. When you get up in the morning and when you go to bed in the evening. When you're during your travels during the day or about your business and routine of the day, look at your children and tell them and quote to them Deuteronomy 6 and 4, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and Him only shalt thou serve. Repeat it to them over and over again. 
Amen. That should be a part of your language. That should be a part of your conversation. Can I tell you that we may not live in Old Testament times, but if it's ever been an imperative, it ought to be now for us to be talking and conversing about what God has in store for his people, that someday we're getting out of this world, that this world is not our home, that we don't put our roots down here, that we're not living for this right here, but we're living for another world, amen, and that we need to walk according to God's will and his truth. His word is important to us. We need to, we need to adhere to it ourselves, but we need to pass it on to the next generation. I was recently at a funeral service of a, a, a really a, a pioneer uh, in, as far as in my day of, of a lot of things and a tremendous church, pastor's wife, uh, had had passed away, and and there was a great crowd, even with all of the current circumstances, great crowd of people that came to that funeral because they, uh, such a great lady, and to the dismay of of that family, there were some members of that family, her children and her husband's children, that did not live for God, and I watched in that service as everybody was talking about this lady and her walk with God, her dedication to the Word of the Lord. In fact, they had a Bible in that service, and they held it up, and they, you could see in the pages of it, as he began to turn the pages, the preacher that was preaching, it was her son-in-law that was preaching the funeral, who was now the pastor of the church, and he was turning the pages, and he was recounting all of the, the, the underscoring and the highlighting and it was obvious. He said, this Bible is really not that old, but it's, it's been well used. You can tell because this dear sister has read it over and over again. He said, I noticed there's certain verses that are highlighted. And he began at the end of his, his time speaking, he began to repeat the, the verses that meant the most to her, that he could tell from reading her Bible meant the most to her. And he, of course, began to go down the line. He began to talk about excuse me, he began to talk about Deuteronomy 6 and 4, which I've already quoted. He referred to Acts 2 and 38. He referred to John 3 and 5. He he referred to, to other verses of Scripture all through the Bible. And I watched as people rallied it that knew those Scriptures. But I looked and I saw children and grandchildren that were sitting there that had no clue, that had no idea. It had been so long for the children that they could not remember those scriptures and it had been so uh, long for, for them to be around church that their, their, their children, the grandchildren of this family, they had no clue, they had no idea what was being talked about, what was being referred to. And I, I thought to myself, somewhere there was a language barrier that began to arise and this was not transmitted and I'm not saying at all that it was the parents fault because likely it wasn't anything that they could have done differently because I know their lives and the way that they live but for whatever reason these children decided to go a different direction 
and uh, the, the effects that it begins to have on the generations down the line because their children were now growing older. And I thought about this and considered it myself and thought, my God, in this hour, help us uh, to always speak a clear language. Amen. Help us to always be able to share with future generations and people that come in about this wonderful truth and what it means to us and what we hold dear. Help us to show them that it's a precious and a wonderful thing that changed our lives. Help us to keep the testimony. Help us to keep the excitement. Help us to keep the zeal for it and the determination to hold on to it because it's not just something that we accepted along the way but it's something that we amen, have made a part of our being. It's a part of our lives. Amen. It's the thing that can change this world. If you believe that, you ought to clap your hands to the Lord right now. I read about another tribe that is fighting for their right to only teach their ancient language in their village and allow no other language to be spoken in their village. In other words, if we're going to keep this language, we cannot allow other language to infiltrate in and be spoken here. We can't allow the confusion of that. And I want you to I want you to I want you to think beyond I want you to think beyond that circumstance. I want you to think beyond just how strict that may seem to you and I and illogical it may seem to you and I. And I want you to think of it in terms of the spirit world that we're dealing with and the church world that we're dealing with. We cannot allow confusion to come in. We cannot allow strange voices to come in. We cannot allow something other than the truth to be spoken because if there's an uncertain sound, the Bible said, who is going to prepare for battle? It's that certain sound that keeps us alert. It's that certain sound that is that is always and repetitively coming from the pulpit that keeps us aware of what's important. And it may seem like, amen, over and over again I've heard that before but I'm going to tell you if it's the truth that transformed you if it's the truth that saved you amen it's still precious to you and you can't hear it enough I said you can't hear it enough it never grows old this one God message should never grow old amen this Jesus name message should never grow old this holiness message should never grow old this about worship and old time Pentecost should never grow old the 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 message of sacrifice and giving to God should never grow. That's what brought us to this place. And if we make heaven, that's what's going to get us out of this world. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give praise to the Lord. And the reason why they say they don't want another language spoken in their village is because in their pagan religion, they believe that that is the only language that their God understands. Can I tell you that you and I, there's some things that we must never lose because that's the only thing that brings the blessings of God upon our lives. When reading Nehemiah's account here, one thing becomes apparent. As people lose their language, 
they as a people will soon become extinct. We're living under the same threat. We're living under the same pressure, if you will. We are seeing a generation arise that cannot speak the language that our fathers spake. It always begins just as it did in Nehemiah's day with people speaking out of both sides of their mouth. It always begins with people trying to speak two different things according to who they're with. Pentecost becomes a second language. But the world and its culture is their first language. And if we're not careful, we'll allow this sacred culture and this sacred this sacred revelation if you will and the truth the truth that the scripture says emphatically has made us free we'll allow we'll allow other things to infiltrate in and homogenize the the purity of it and with with the the lessening of the purity of it and the more other things filter their way in the the less power and authority and dominion that it has. I want to tell you, there's just something about old-time Pentecost that produces power. There's just something about old-fashioned Holy Ghost anointing that produces power. And we may we may want pretty Pentecost, and we may try to pride ourselves in being sophisticated, but I want to tell you something. There's no amount of anything that this world has to offer that can take the place of the power of God's Spirit working in our lives. Amen. There's something about someone that has a revelation of the name of Jesus Christ and when they preach and when they pray and when they call on the name of Jesus there's something that happens you know what I'm talking about those old sisters when they begin to cry out and begin to travail you feel something shaking you feel something moving in the spirit you feel something breaking loose in the Holy Ghost hey folks we can't lose that when you see an old old timer get out in the aisle and they begin to dance before the Lord and worship God and maybe run the aisles. I know some people roll their eyes. I know some people may be ashamed of it, but there's power. There's authority. There's dominion. There's something to it, folks, that we can't lose. I don't want to lose the language. Oh, yes. Oh, this is our defense mechanism against worldliness. This is the defense mechanism against the attacks of the devil. I'm going to tell you, you know what it is to come into a church service. Amen. In just a little while, the world may be bombarding you. The enemy may have been attacking you. You may have been under pressure, wondering what you was going to do, which way to turn. But you came into one Holy Ghost church service. And the whole deal turned around. In one moment, God began to move and began to work. He began to have his way in your life and you felt encouraged. You felt touched. You felt God administered to you and you walked out with victory. So to all those folks, all those folks that say, you don't have to be so demonstrative. You don't have to be so radical. You don't have to be Amen. So dogmatic about your doctrine. You don't have to be, you don't have to be so dogmatic 
about that separation business. Amen. Coming out from the world. I just want to tell you, amen, we've come too far and seen too many miracles, uh, too great a revival, too much of the power of God to start watering it down at this point. Uh, We're not going to start speaking a different language. Uh, We're not going to talk the world's talk uh, to try to appeal to them that God help us tonight uh, to realize, uh, amen, just what this Bible says, uh, that if we're going to see the kingdom of God, we must be born again of water and of spirit. Amen. And if you believe in one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen. Touch not the unclean thing. I believe in being godly. I believe in being holy. I believe in living right. I believe in living clean before the Lord. Come on, let's give some praise to him right now. Dear God, I don't want to see us lose. I don't want to see us lose the old-fashioned language of intercession. I'm going to tell you, that's a language. That's a language. I hope you'll ride with me for just a little while here tonight. That's a language that we cannot lose in Pentecost. People, we're missing something when we don't have people that know how to tap into the Holy Ghost in prayer and pray in the Holy Ghost. Amen. We, we, we're missing something when we don't have prayer warriors that knows what Paul was talking about when he said with groanings that could not be uttered. Amen. God, the Spirit maketh intercession through me. I was just a vessel. He knew what he wanted me to pray about. He knew what the need was. But I was just a vessel that lent myself to allow him to pray through me, the Holy Ghost to work through me and meet needs. I'm going to tell you, that's what brings strongholds down. That's what breaks addiction in people's lives. That's what a heal. Amen. That's what a deliver. That's what a bring miracles. That's what a bring homes back together. That's what a heal families. That's what a touch people's lives. Can't lose that. Can't lose that. We can't lose that spirit of sacrifice. I know we've moved across the tracks. Some of you need to get in your car and drive over here in, in the neighborhood of Beverly and look of where we, well, I don't know that they started there, but that was certainly, I think, the ch- first church building that they had was over in uh, on Lumpkin Street. And look at that place and where God has brought us to to this point. And it was because of sacrifice that brought people to that place and a willingness to sacrifice. Oh, how dare we sit down. We would be doing an injustice to everybody that came before us. And I'm smart enough to know, I'm not real smart, but I'm smart enough to know this, that I stand on the shoulders of giants. I'm able to see as far as I see because I'm standing on the shoulders of generations of people that came before me. So I salute them. But I'm going to tell you, we do them an injustice if we sit down now and said, you know, we're comfortable. We got a paid off place. Uh, amen. We can worship in here. We can be satisfied with this. This will get me through until Jesus comes and never think about the future generation. Never think about 
anybody else coming to God or being saved or receiving this revelation of truth. I'm going to tell you, we have to have that same spirit of sacrifice that got us at this point. We have to be willing if God asks us to put it on the altar and say, God, whatever you ask of me, I wanted to do it because I want revival at all costs. Come on, folks, what are we living for? Are we living for this world too much? Are we living for revival? I was at a meeting, and there was a, there was a, it was one of them highbrow deals, you know, the who's who. Everybody was there, and I watched some sister. She didn't have fancy clothes on, but she had one of them beehive hairdos, and she came dancing down the aisle, and I saw, you know, I, I, I witnessed it for the first time. I saw them bobby pins, choo, like torpedoes. Coming out of there. And man, she didn't just have one or two of them. I'm telling you. You couldn't keep that deal together with just one or two. And it was. She came right out of her shoes. And she made her way dancing and shouting. And them, them bobby pins are going. And I watched kind of people kind of smirking and looking. Looking around. Kind of like about half, half of them was act like they was about halfway ashamed of her. And I thought to myself, go on, sister. Amen. You got something they ain't never felt. You got something they have never experienced. You got a hold of something that they only wish they could have. You got the power of the Holy Ghost. Come on, you don't need to be ashamed of somebody that's a holy roller. You don't need to be ashamed of somebody that knows how to worship God. You don't need to be ashamed of somebody that knows how to rejoice in the presence of the Lord. In fact, you need to be ashamed if you don't know how to do it every once in a while. I remember when I came into Pentecost just as a boy, uh, my parents, and my daddy had got the Holy Ghost in a revival service in another church, but he, they started going to church at, at a church that was nearby where we lived, and uh, it's right there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, Brother Donnie Martin now pastors the church, but back then it was, it was Brother Orville Bryant, and, and man, you talk about getting with it, they would get with it, and I remember that there was on those aisles, it was kind of a, a long shotgun type building, somewhat like this sanctuary behind us. And, and there was the pews, you know, that just kind of went in a square. And people get up pretty good momentum, you know. And uh, they'd come around to that corner and forget there was one there. I don't know what they was thinking. And uh, just, uh, you know, we always encourage people to run with their eyes open. And so come around that corner and, and I... I remember my mother, and she, she don't, she's not able to do much of it now, but back then, man, she'd get the Holy Ghost moving on her, and she'd run the aisles. And uh, she'd run around there, and I mean, she was, you know, she had, uh, before coming to God, she was uh, worked in beauty shop and, and was all 
prissy and all that kind of stuff. But when the Holy Ghost got to moving on her, she didn't care. She wasn't worried about what anybody said. And she made, made her way around those aisles running. And, and man, you talk about a war hoop. You ain't never heard any. I know she had some Indian blood in her, but I didn't realize that it, that it had that much of effect. But I'm telling you, there was a war hoop that went out that had scared every Cherokee in the hills of Oklahoma. Amen. I'm telling you, when the Holy Ghost gets on you, you're not so concerned about your pride anymore. Come on, we need an old-fashioned shakedown in the Holy Ghost. We need an old-fashioned move of God where people lose their inhibitions. I remember one time they, they made a, they made a uh, uh, brush harbor out in, you know, we wanted to go back. So we, we made a brush harbor we put inside the gymnasium, though. It's sure a lot easier and fighting. There wasn't no mosquitoes to fight. And, and you, they, they left one light on right up in the front. That was the moon. And they strung some lights, lanterns, and different things on that brush harbor. And they had the preacher come. It was Brother Thornton from over in Lebanon, Missouri. He, he came, the elder, he came. And I remember him. He was, he was talking about that man uh, that came to church and something got a hold of him. And you know what? That spirit of whatever they had in them old brush harbors must have got off on some of them people because I had never seen a dust storm quite like it. They, they'd had sawdust out there. And, uh, and, and man, they got to kicking around in that sawdust. And the preacher's son, which was my best friend, he got the Holy Ghost that night. There was two or three other young people that got the Holy Ghost. They had never seen a brush harbor. They didn't even know what a brush harbor was before we did that deal. Amen. But there was something that was being transmitted in the spirit that they could feel and they could identify with that even a child, amen, that had their heart. Oh, I'm going to tell you, when you get the Holy Ghost moving, it encompasses everybody. It affects everyone. Amen. You don't have to worry about it. You get a genuine move of the Holy Ghost. Uh, you let that thing break out in a church service. Uh, you won't have to worry. Amen. It'll draw the sinner. It'll compel people. You don't have to worry, amen, trying to be refined and all of that kind of stuff. That's not what they're looking for when they come to a Pentecostal church. They're looking for something that'll set them free, something that'll change their lives. Hallelujah. The saddest words in your Bible are, there was a generation that arose that knew not the Lord. That's the saddest words in your Bible. The Bible said when the children of Israel, when they marched out of Egypt into the wilderness, that there was certain things that God required of them. One of them was circumcision. And after about 20 years in the wilderness, they evidently had stopped the practice. And when it came time for them to move into the promised land, Joshua said, it hadn't happened in 20 years around here. A whole generation don't even hardly know what we're talking about when we mention it. But it's got to be done before we can enter in to the promised land. It took place. How did this, this happen? This, how did this inhibitor take place in their lives? It was because they quit speaking about it. It was because they quit demanding it. Because they quit preaching it. Because they quit talking about it. It, it no longer was a part of their conversation. 
When we get to the point that we're not talking about the things of God around the dinner table. Now, that may dry up right here. But, but we're not talking about the things of God around. I, I, I love those stories uh, of how that, that they talked about uh, back in the old days. Brother Andrew Urshan, old pioneer Pentecost, was preaching down here in, in Louisiana. And, and they were there. He was there on Thanksgiving. They were going to have the Thanksgiving meal. They had it all laid out there and prepared. And he said, could we pray real quick before, uh, I mean, I don't want to just pray for food. What he meant was, let's have a little prayer meeting before we eat, and let's get down. So they like, you know, five minutes, ten minutes, something like that. He got down, and they said, man, it really got intense. And in just a little while, uh, a lot of time had passed by. And before long, there was a knock on the door. On Thanksgiving Day, somebody was walking by or traveling by and said, I don't know what's going on in here, but I felt drawn to come and knock on the door of this house and ask what it is that you folks got because whatever it is, I need it. I I need some help. And they were able to bring that person into the living room and pray them through the Holy Ghost. Oh, the dinner got cold, but there was somebody that got saved. There was somebody's life that was changed we got to get back to it folks I said we got to get back to it we got to get back to that kind of a move of God and that kind of revival would you stand with me right now let's lift up our hands and cry